Zechariah chapter 5, quite an interesting chapter, and I gave people some homework on this, asked you to read it and see what you uh, thought it might be coming up with. It is uh, not as easy as the previous chapters, but we will do our best here with it. Last time we were looking at the visions of the lampstands and the olive trees. We saw the supply needed is the golden or the spiritual oil made through God's anointed ones or, or comes through God's anointed ones. The verse of scripture that everybody seems to know, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, comes from this chapter. And we looked at some of the things that were involved with that particular verse working in our lives. So let's go over to Zechariah chapter 5, verse 1. Then I turned and raised my eyes and saw there a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? So I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width is 10 cubits. And he said to me, This is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief shall be expelled according to this side of the scroll, and every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side of it. And I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts, it shall enter the house of the thief, and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It shall remain in the midst of the house and consume it with its timber and stones. Now the scroll here matches the size of the bronze altar in the temple's entryway. And I gave you the references for those if you want to go take a look at them and see what they are. It is said to be on the text of 20 cubits by 10 cubits. This, of course, is our length of a cubit. This is the average length. It could be a little bit longer. It could be a little bit shorter, but this is where most people accept it to be. And imagine 20 of these by 10 of these. That's quite a large scroll. And that seems to, uh, I don't know if there's any significance to it being the same size as the, uh, as the temple's entryway or for the bronze altar, but it does give you an idea that it is very large and it's not a normal size scroll. It is a very, very big one. And it's flying through the air. Now, much like today, if you want something to get there fast, you cause it to fly. If we want to get somewhere fast today, we get on an airplane. There's the other methods, car, train, they don't get you there as fast. The airplane is the faster way to go. And it's still that way even in the Old Testament, even though they didn't have airplanes. If you wanted something there fast, you would fly it. So this would be, uh, this is a flying scroll, which you can do in a, in a vision such as this. In the New Living Translation, it translates this just a little differently and might be a little bit easier for us to understand. I looked up again and saw a scroll flying through the air. What do you see? The angel asked. I see a flying scroll. I replied, it appears to be about 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. So that's uh, the interpretation in the New Living Translation of uh, more measurements that we are used to. Can you imagine something flying in the air that's about 30 feet long? and about 15 feet wide that is a scroll and has writing on it. Then he said to me, this scroll contains the curse that is going out over the entire land. One side of the scroll says that those who steal will be banished from the land, and the other side says that those who swear falsely will be banished from the land. And this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says, I am sending this curse into the house of every thief and into the house of everyone who swears falsely using my name. And my curse will remain in that house and completely destroy it, even its timbers and stones. 
Now, the large size here would seem to indicate that it is very visible. It is very easy to be seen, so God wants what is written on it to be easy to see. And we're flying it in the air. We're flying it over the land so everybody in the land can look up and they can see it. Probably a good way to uh, relate this is if you've ever gone down to shore, my favorite place down there in Ocean City, New Jersey. They probably do it at other places too, but I know down there they do. They'll have the little uh, plane. Sometimes they even get an old-fashioned biplane, but they have a little plane and they put a message out on the back of it. And then they fly these planes up and down the coast so that people that are relaxing on the beach or playing in the water or whatever it is that they're doing, um, nothing else better to do. You may as well look up, may as well read what they have on the on the sign, and you get the message because not only uh, does it does the message go out, but you're thinking about it because you have to read it in order to get that. So that kind of a is that kind of a deal where the the sign is flying by them. It causes their attention to be drawn to it. But somehow, this is going to have a literal thing where, where God's law is going to be made very visible so that everyone can see it and everyone can know it. Now, the scroll, many have supposed that this would appear to be the law. It contains, it's said to contain a curse and two of the laws are mentioned. The two that are mentioned are the commands number seven and eight. I heard, uh, I was reading, I tried to read a lot of different things on this. I heard one person say errantly that one side of the scroll dealt with the first five commands and the second side dealt with the second uh, half of the commands. Well, that can't be true because the one side contained command number seven and the other side contained command number eight. Now, I don't know if that's all that they had on it. It may be that's all they had and it was printed large and on a big uh, scroll so that everybody could read it. And if that's the case, then there's only... Uh, two commands of the word, so it seems to be that these are the primary ones that it's it's focusing on. But this is all that we're told in the vision, so that's what we have to go with. In the Ten Commandments, the list is divided into two. Of course, we're told that it was printed on two tablets, so it's assumed that one tablet had five and the other tablet had five. The first one would have the commandments that are between man and God, and the second would have the commandments that are between man and man. And if you go through them, you can see that. The only one that might cause you to take a second look is commandment number five when it says honor your father and mother. But that's actually something you do is honoring God and not just honoring them. There is an honor to them, but it comes into play with your father God. Now the word here, earth, can be translated earth, land, or country. But we've used the modifier whole. With it, So it's talking about the whole land or the whole earth. So we're talking about every place on the earth in which there are people, <clears throat> this scroll is taken over. We're not just talking about the land of Israel, it would seem, because later on we're going to have a verse that seems to indicate the land of Israel and the word whole is left out. So it seemed to indicate that all the lands or all the countries are involved here and thus the whole earth. And that's where it is put in your translation and many others that are out there. In Proverbs chapter 26, verse 2, it tells us that the curse, well, this particular verse tells us that the curse goes out over the face of the whole earth, and this is probably not limited to Israel, but in Proverbs 26, 2, it says, like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not alight. Now, in both those situations, we got birds, 
then they're flying. But he says, the curse without call should not alight. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse will not land on its intended victim. That there is a reason why the curse would come upon. The curse does not just go out and just land on people. And this is what God is, is telling us. Uh, people want to say, well, this curse just, just came upon me. No, there's a reason why I was able to get hold of you. There's a reason why the, the curses that fell upon Job were able to get a hold of them. There's a reason why other people, the curse was able to get a hold of them. It didn't just find you and just say, hey, we're going to land here for a little while. No, there's some protection around us. But if we move outside of that protection, we disobey God, we do things like that, then the, uh, the curse could come. So a curse without cause, or some translations read it, a curse causeless will not come. Now my attention is drawn to the tribulation period with this vision. As in those days in particular, the curse for sin will come upon every house and upon the whole earth. Right now we're not really seeing too much of the curse come upon the whole earth. But during the tribulation period, that is certainly a time when it will. It will come upon all of them. And so my attention gets perked for these particular things. Now, the lack of mention of what the people do against God seems to suggest that there's bringing the moral judgments upon them and not the righteous one. If he was going to bring righteous judgments, he would have said something about idols. He would have said something about engraved images or or uh, things that were dealing between man and God. He didn't bring any of those in. None of those are put on the scroll. The ones that are put on the scroll are the ones that are man to man. So these are moral judgments. What I take from this is people want to say, well, I didn't know who God was. I didn't know that Jesus did. Regardless of all that, there are certain moral things that people should know are not right. Such as, thou shalt not murder. Well, people ought to know that it's not right to murder. And the people who feel like I have the right to murder are people that have seared their conscience and I've just decided that I'm going to train myself to not see evil as evil. And they act evil, and that evil that they act in will come upon them. So, the, the lack of any kind of righteous judgments here would lead me to believe that the target here is those who are not necessarily God-fearing, but who will maybe want to say, have, have an excuse for, well, God, don't judge me because, no, there are certain moral things that you should know. And that you should not do. And we're looking at people today, they're doing all kinds of immoral things, and they should know better than to do this, but they act like this is okay. It's alright for us to allow girls to have to entertain boys in their, in their locker room and in their bathroom. It's okay for us to alter the uh, bodies of uh, people who are not even old enough to decide to have a tattoo or to drink alcohol or to vote. But it's okay to decide things of that nature. So uh, we morally know better. These people know better than to do these things, but they're going out there and they're doing it anyway. And God's looking at this and says, look, you may not know my law, but you know inside yourself, this is not right to do. This is wrong. But they're going ahead and doing it anyway. So what this, this vision is telling you is the scroll is flying above. Everyone understands these laws and they're disobeying them. The curse will come upon them because of what they have done. It will come into their house and it will destroy not only them, their house, even the timbers and the stones of the house. It's going to destroy it all. 
Well, we don't stop there. We continue to go on in verse 5. Then the angel who talked with me came out and said to me, Lift your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. So I asked, What is it? And he said, It is a basket that goes forth. He also said, This is their resemblance throughout the earth. This is their resemblance throughout the earth. Now, if I just were to throw that verse out there, what in the world would you think that would mean? This verse got a lot of my attention. I spent a whole lot of time to make, try and get a good handle on this, and we'll delve into that here in just a little bit, but let's finish reading the rest of these verses. This is their resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up, and this is a woman sitting inside the basket. Then he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. Now, if you just read over that vision, I think you might be as puzzled as I was reading over that. says, well, what in the world are we trying to say? So I tore apart a lot of these things. You know I don't like Hebrew a whole lot, but I tried to delve into every aspect of the Hebrew language I could to figure out what all these things were talking about. In reading the New Living Translation on this, it does seem to uh, pick up on a lot of things that I was reading. So let me just read this for you. Then the angel who was talking with me came forward and said, look, I'm sorry, look up and see what's coming. What is it, I asked. He replied, it is a basket for measuring grain and it's filled with the sins of everyone throughout the land. So this verse over here in the New King James that said, uh, well, I lost, lost it for a minute there. This is their resemblance throughout the earth. The New Living Translation says it is filled with the sins of everyone throughout the land. Now we'll get more into why it went that way. Then the heavy lead cover was lifted off the basket and there was a woman sitting inside. The angel said the woman's name is wickedness and he pushed her back into the basket and closed the heavy lid again. Then I looked up and saw two women flying toward us, gliding on the wind. They had wings like a stork and they picked up the basket and flew into the sky. Now the word there, basket, is actually the Hebrew word for ephah or a measuring measure for grain. Uh, a measure in general, but it's translated basket here, I think, because people are having a hard time with the idea of a woman being in an ephah. The reason for it is this. An ephah is, is approximately five and a half gallons. Now, how many have ever been over to Home Depot or Lowe's or have ever seen one of their buckets? One of their buckets is about a five-gallon bucket. I think it's just a little bit smaller than a five-gallon bucket, but that's about the size. Can you imagine any woman anywhere fitting into that bucket? I cannot imagine it either, but that's what he's seeing. He is seeing this this uh, container. It's translated basket here, probably because they're trying to get some a different image. How can a woman fit inside this measuring of an ephah? Because a woman would be bigger than that. But somehow she is in this. Of course, you could always go with the uh, TV series like I Dream of Jeannie. And uh, the woman there certainly fit into something much smaller than a five-gallon bucket. Or you could go to the Disney shows like Aladdin. And Aladdin, the big old genie there, he fits into a container even smaller than the one that Jeannie's in. So you could go into something like that, but it doesn't seem to be that there's any smoke involved like it is with those. They don't turn into smoke and then fill up the container and then 
turn into a miniaturized version. Uh, none of that is, is talked about. So I can't say I know exactly how this could be, but that's what he saw. He's describing what it is that he saw. And it is a, is a woman. There is the possibility that it has been thrown out that the reason that it is said a woman is in the basket is because the term, the word for wickedness is, it is uh, feminine. Now we're not used to this. When we say evil, to us evil is neither masculine nor feminine because it's the way our language is written. But I am told that if you go over to many other languages, not just Hebrew, but I believe even Spanish is in this way, and uh, I know some other ones were mentioned, that things that are neutral like that are generally given the feminine or a masculine. Any Greek does this all the time. And so you'll see that it's a, it's a feminine word, it's a masculine word, so it could just be that the word is used, the word woman is used because the wickedness is a feminine word. That is a possibility. We'll go on with the assumption that a woman is in mind and a woman is what is uh, used here. So in this particular verse, it translated, it is a basket for measuring grain and it is filled with the sins of everyone throughout the land. So the angel is always asking Zechariah, what is it? What do you see? What does it mean? Much like John had these questions when he was in heaven. What is it? And so if he saw the flying scroll... I don't know why he would have a hard time saying what it is. Well, it's a flying scroll. But the angel is brought in to give definitions on a lot of these things. So he uh, he asked the angel, what is it? I'm sure maybe, maybe on his mind is more what does it mean than what is it actually? What does this mean? And fortunately, the angel does reply this way. It is a basket for measuring grain. I think that much he probably would have known. And it is filled <clears throat> with the sins of everyone throughout the land. Now this word that is translated resemblance, it's an interesting word. I did some study on this to uh, come up with, with what this was. This word is used extensively. It's over 800 times used in the Old Testament. Most of the time, it is translated eyes. Lift up your eyes and see. That's this word coming out here. Very often, you will see this word in the area of, of eyes. And it's translated as such. But there is one other aspect of this, another aspect of this word that is used. And we'll see that this word is also translated fountain. It took me going through quite a few sources before I was even able to find out that this other meaning was in there. And so the, one of the meanings that this word can have is fountain. And if you read it in that way, in the basket for measuring grain, and it's filled with, the, instead of resemblance, it is filled with the uh, fountain of wickedness. With the fountain of wickedness. You can actually put it to, in, in that particular way. That inside of this, there is a, uh, th this woman represents a fountain of wickedness. In particular, it seems to be the kind of wickedness that was demonstrated here are the two that were mentioned. But it doesn't mean that it was limited to that because wickedness surely would not be, be limited to those things. If you ever go out and, and want to do some other study on this, if you look up on Vines, now Vines is known for their work on Greek words, but they also do some work, he also has done some work on Hebrew words. This is one of those Hebrew words that he delves into quite a bit. And I copied and pasted it into a, a word perfect document and it took up almost two pages 
It was a pretty extensive uh, writing that he did on this, but you can see some of the meanings that this word has, and he'll give some of the references to that. So, if you have a vines, you can look this up in the first section of the book, in the Hebrew section, it will be in there. And if you don't have a vines, you should get one. They are there, there are, I believe, three different volumes of vines, and we've spent time on the different ones there. There is one that, to me, there is one that stands out above the rest. So if you don't have one, and you're going to go out and get one, talk to me about it. I'll tell you which one it is, because it does some things to it that the other ones don't do. And so I like this one in particular. We had uh, brought some of them in here for folks in the church uh, many years ago when we were doing some of the things in that area so many of you had already picked up those but if you have not you can go up on amazon you can order from there just uh let me know and i'll help you find the the right one but it's a great source to use there are some things i can do in vines that i can't even do in some of my other uh, uh, references and one of the big things that i do with that is if a word is used say if you want to look up all the words for knowledge vines is a fantastic place to go to find all the greek words that are translated knowledge in fact, there's no, I don't even mess with anything else. I just go over to Vines. All right, what are the Greek words for it? And then I can start my, uh, my study on that, especially when I'm trying to see what words did the author not use. That is a great reference for that. So, enough on that. But it has a heavy lead cover that was lifted off the basket, and there was a woman sitting inside it. Now, some of the things that people wrote on this, I think they're just trying to find things to write. They tried to take the fact that this is a heavy lead weight to mean that there were some things off in the way that people were weighing. And because we had the measurement, there's things off in the way people were measuring. Except that's not what the scroll was. The scroll doesn't mention any of those particular things, unless you want to say stealing was done by not measuring it correctly. But to me, it is very clear that this heavy lead lid is there for the purpose of keeping what's on the inside, inside. So if you were to, if you were one who was going to go out and catch a snake, I don't think anybody here outside of Sharon, um, so I don't think anybody else would really mess with snakes, but she doesn't seem to mind it. But if you were to go out and to catch uh, one of those snakes that are out there and you were to put it into a container, you would either want a container with a lid that snapped on, screwed on, you spin it around and it would screw on, or was weighted down enough that the snake couldn't lift it off. You want to make sure that snake stays in there. So what we're saying here is, because they didn't, they didn't have the, as far as I know, they didn't have the screw type lids back in the Old Testament. What we're saying here is we're putting a lid on this because we don't want the woman to get out. So the woman was in the container, the lead lid was pulled off, and then she began to come out because the angel has to thrust her back in. So that lid was keeping her in. So the only purpose I can see that is very clear from this is that the lead cover was there to keep the wickedness in the ephod in the measurement i don't know why you need to come up with anything any other meaning that's what it is and when he the angel throws her back in thrusts her back in down inside and slams the the lid back down the the intention sure seems to be we want to make sure that you stay in there so if you have a if you caught yourself a snake i was watching a I was watching a video. I don't. I just. I like watching videos with people handling snakes. I don't know what it is about it. They just capture my attention. And I watched this one particular guy. He caught a rattlesnake that was on his property. It was in an area of his property he did not want this to be. Apparently, he had a lot of property, but he also had on his property a uh, rodent of some sort, and I forget which kind it was. Um, uh, a beaver or a, a groundhog or some kind of a rodent like that. 
and he knew the hole where this thing was. And so he captured the snake, put it into a bucket, carried a bucket over to that place in the yard where this uh, other thing was, pulled the thing on out and fed the snake down into the hole. And he's saying on the video, my hope is that we get rid of this uh, two problems. One, the snake's not where I want it to, don't want it to be. And two, he makes a meal out of this, uh, whatever this rodent is that's down there. And he'll take care of that problem too. Because, of course, the snake can get all the way down into the hole. Even if he doesn't eat them, if he just bites them and kills them, he would be probably a happy landowner right there. But he had to lid on that to make sure that it would stay in. And this is uh, very much what's going on here. What is lacking in this vision that I really don't understand why it's lacking or it just, where did, what happened to this part? This is where my mind goes when I'm reading this particular thing. How did the woman get in the basket? How did she get trapped? Did the angel have something to do with the woman being trapped? Did the scroll have something to do? with the woman getting trapped is that the scroll went over the land people saw what we're not supposed to do became obedient to it and took the wickedness that was in the land and brought it into captivity I am not sure because it doesn't get into it let's read this again in the New Living then the angel who was talking to, with me came forward and said look up and see what's coming what is it I asked he replied it is a basket for measuring grain and it's filled with the sins of everyone throughout the land then the heavy lead cover was lifted off the basket and there was a woman sitting inside it the angel said the woman's name is wickedness and he pushed her back into the basket and closed the heavy lid again then I looked up and saw two women flying toward us gliding on the wind they had wings like a stork and they picked up the basket and flew it into the sky so if you open the lid I'm not opening the lid of anything that I am not sure I can contain. If you think there might be any way that that thing is getting away from you, then uh, then there's no way that you would lift off the lid for the thing. Uh, I don't know if you may remember the days that we actually brought a snake into church. How many people remember the days we brought a snake into church? Anybody remember that one? Uh, Ms. Ethel does. Ms. Goliath probably will if she, she thinks hard enough. <laughs> But there was a there was a time we had the kids in on the service and we had an object lesson. We love doing object lessons when the kids are in. And so we had a box that I had brought in and no one knew what was inside the box. And so I passed the box around to different people while we were going on talking about different things. We were talking about fear at the time and how fear was based on knowledge. And so we took this box and I passed it to different people. And I don't remember all the people that I passed it to, but I do remember one person in particular <laughs> that I that I passed it to because when I when I gave her the box she just kind of took it and she was okay with this thing um, but then after a, a while passing it around I said well, alright let's take a look at what's inside this box and so inside the box I pulled out of the box a container that had a snake now the snake is a simple garter snake it was not any kind of was not harmful even if it got out it couldn't hurt anybody it would scare them pretty good but it's and it wasn't all that big it was probably maybe I don't know it wasn't a, maybe a foot maybe it was a foot in length and um, when we pulled this out and so then everybody who was holding the box especially one person in particular oh oh I was holding it oh oh <laughs> and I made sure I gave it to people who would react in that particular way and I let them know alright well you weren't afraid when you were holding it because you didn't have the knowledge of what was inside it was the knowledge of what was inside that created the fear fear is based on knowledge 
Same way that faith is based on knowledge. But fear wants you to have knowledge for something bad. And faith wants you to have knowledge of something that is good. Faith is based on promises. And, and fear is not based on promises. It's, it's based on wrong expectations. And so uh, we actually had taken this thing out and the kids all wanted to come on up and, and hold it. Well, I didn't have complete confidence in myself to hold the snake and not let it get loose in the church. And that would not be a good thing. You could see the newspapers the next day. Pastor brings snake into church. It gets loose. And people go running out of the... No, we didn't want to have anything like that. So I had brought one of the big trash cans over and I took the container and I put it in the big trash can because if the snake got away from me, it would not get out of the big trash can because uh, it wasn't tall enough to get out of the big trash can. So I did that and I reached down in the big trash can, reached down in the container that had the snake and pulled the snake out. And I was holding the snake and all the kids came on up and they, you know, when they're touching the snake and, and not all of them, one or two, but most of them wanted to come on up and to touch the, the thing. And for some reason, my son Christian was not in the service. He was out doing something. I'm not sure what he was doing or where he was. Uh, he was around. He just wasn't in the service during that time. Uh, doing something else and so uh, he said oh dad i didn't get a chance to touch the snake i really wanted to get to do that it says well you know uh I, I can do that for you so we were over next door in the little foyer area and so i did the same thing i had the, the container because if he got loose i didn't want him to get loose and you know be hiding i had to we had a pet store back then and i was able i actually borrowed the snake from the pet store made arrangements with him and brought the snake on over you remember now aren't you <laughs> yeah so uh, I, I took the snake out, and so he was uh, got a chance to touch it. But on my way to get it back in, somehow I lost the handle on the snake. And so the snake got loose into the garbage can. So now I need to catch the snake in the garbage can and put him back into the cage so that I can take him back to the pet store. So in doing that, trying to get the, the snake, well, the snake latched onto me. He bit hold of me, and he got me right there in the, in the hand. Uh, and he didn't seem to want to let go. But, you know, if he's holding me, he bit me right right there in the middle. And so I'm, I was able to hold him, and he wouldn't be able to get away. So I'm holding him. He's biting me. And I say, Christian, just grab the container. We'll just walk on over to the pet store. And so I'm walking on over with a snake attached to my hand. <laughs> and Christian's bringing the thing over. And so we go on over. He says, ah, yes, that's no big deal. I said, we, we just got to give him something he wants more than you. And so we put him down into the big container that he was living in and they put some food out there for him and once he saw the other food he let go of me he went after the other food and uh, everything was good but but again i needed to have that confidence that if i pull this snake out it's not going to get away so i didn't have a lid i can't put a lid on it and do all this so a big container with high walls was able to do that this angel in taking this lid off is telling us we can contain this the angel can contain it zachariah has no confidence in himself that he can contain it, doesn't even know what's inside of it or what kind of power they have. But as soon as the lid comes off, the woman begins to come out. The wickedness begins to come out. And so the angel takes the woman and pushes the word. The, the um, New Living says he pushed her back into the basket and closed the heavy lid again. So that heavy lid was heavy enough to keep that wickedness, that woman, inside of the, the basket. So that she couldn't get out. And they were confident with that lid being being on top. I don't know about you, but if I had a snake in a bucket and I put a heavy lid on top of it, what's holding the heavy lid from sliding off? That's my thought. But apparently that's not an issue here. 
Maybe there's some kind of a thing in play that keeps that lid from sliding off. Uh, and my thought of it sliding off would be extremely alive when I saw two women flying toward us, gliding on the wind, and they pick up the basket and flew into the sky. Now, we got some pictures on this to try and help us out with this. So if you can pull up the, our pictures, we'll take a look at, at what's there. The picture on the left, that is a rendition of the flying scroll. Now, you can see the writing is pretty fine on that, and they assume that there's more written on there than what we heard. That is a possibility. Uh, I just know what is written in Scripture. The second picture, that's the woman inside the basket with the heavy lid, and she is contained as long as that heavy lid is there, and she somehow gets on out. The third picture, that is the picture of the two women with the wings that come and pick up the basket. And uh, I've seen some renditions of this where they have a string or a rod that is, is on the basket and they pick up the rod and they carry the rod, they carry the strings and they fly from Jerusalem all the way over to Shinar or Babylon. And this is where they are going to take it. Now, I am told that if you've ever seen some of those pictures that have the, the women angels with the big wings, the place they take that from is this scripture right here. Because there's no place in Scripture where we have women with wings that are represented as angels. I'm not telling you that none exist. I'm telling you that Scripture does not have any mentioned. But here we, we do. Now, you'll notice that they said they had wings like a stork. Now, we could easily read over that real quickly and just say, well, these, uh, these guys are doing the work of God, so this must be good. Except that a stork is an unclean bird. Why would they have the wings of an unclean bird if they are doing the work of God. Why is it mentioned? If we, we have a vision here, why would we create a vision and show this and it makes the point that they have the wings of the stork? Big wings. And they're just kind of gliding on in. And these are definitely women. I don't think there's any question on, on these ones. So they looked up and they saw two women, I guess two women, because one on each side, and they're going to carry this from here all the way over to the land of Sinar. Now, I still know some people that want to try and make a case for these angels, or the, these, uh, these beings, or these women, to be angels, and to be doing the work of God. But that's not the only evidence that I have, that they are not doing the work of God. They may be carrying the wickedness out of the land of Israel, but they have the unclean bird wings, and then we go on, and it's going to tell us some other things. But let's finish off uh, everything on your outline. Make sure that you got this. Um, oh, the I was going to give you the Amplified on this particular verse that talked about the, um, the resemblance throughout the earth. The Amplified reads it this way. This, this, he continued, is a symbol of the sinners mentioned above and is the resemblance of their iniquity throughout the whole land. So there, Amplified is tying it back to the previous vision. The Bible in basic English says, and he said, this is an ephah which is going out. And he said further, this is their evil doing in all the land. So again, the container is wickedness, has the evil doing, has the things that they were doing that was evil. The scroll flew over the whole land, the whole earth. But it seems that the land of Israel is the one that responded. The land of Israel is the one that contained the wickedness. The land of Israel is where the wickedness was put into the container for which the wickedness was flown by these women with these wings all the way over to the land of Shinar. That is Babylon. Now, woman was often used with the modifier of a harlot. 
to indicate a sinful condition. We do not see that modifier here. This was the case in the Ezekiel 23. If you were here long enough when we did the study on 23, you remember. that I remember that one because that's one of the more difficult chapters we had to deal with in, in Ezekiel. Uh, but there were two women that represented Israel and Judah, and they were uh, represented as harlots. In Revelation 17, we see the harlot as a force behind the beast. But in Revelation 12, there's a woman that represents Israel. And there's nothing evil about that. So don't think that every time a woman shows up that it's evil. Most of the time that a woman shows up and evil is intended, she is called a harlot. This time, it doesn't seem to occur. But they are carrying evil into the land of Shinar or in the land of Babylon. And I believe we had some blanks for you there. Has the wickedness been captured or was it brought with them without being released? So here's what uh, my question is. Was the wickedness that is in the basket, was it captured by the people who had come into Israel, the people that inhabit the land of Judah at this time? Did they capture the wickedness? Did they look at the law? Did they take those thoughts captive? Did they take that sin captive? And that's why it's there. Or did they bring it with them from Babylon? Because we know that Israel, when they were in Egypt, they brought some stuff with them. All through the wilderness, we constantly see them bringing stuff from Egypt. Because Egypt didn't completely get out of them. We eventually had to wipe out the entire generation and start with a new one. A new generation who didn't have as much ties to the time in Egypt. And that's the ones that that God would, would send in there. So they spent, some of them spent as much as 70 years in the land of Babylon. Some of them may have been less. They may have been born over there. That's all that they knew. But some of that evil is going to attach to them. And when they came over, they may have brought some of that evil. And some of the commandments that were mentioned, this may be some of the evil that they had brought over. And so when the word of God was was brought about here, they may have been, oh, we're not supposed to do that. Oh, we got to make sure we... We picked up this from the people in Babylon. They all say it was okay. We don't want to get in there and to do that. Now, this is before Ezra's arrival. This vision comes before Ezra arrives on the scene and his rebuke about the foreign wives. The foreign wife things, as far as we can tell, hadn't happened yet. That happened after the temple was built. So this was a, this was a vision to get them to restart the building of the temple. It came along the time of Haggai. And, uh, None of the commandments that were mentioned deal with any of the issues that Ezra brings up. He doesn't bring, bring up foreign wives, doesn't bring up adultery, doesn't bring up anything in that area that Ezra deals with in the uh, book we just covered. Uh, none of them are mentioned in here. So that can't seem to be the wickedness that is uh, in mind. The issues that came up when the temple work restarted were attending to their homes instead of God's. That was one of them. And perhaps using what was intended for God for themselves. And that may have been the stealing that was, was going on. And perhaps this was from the seeds of what they had in their time in Babylon. But there is an urgency, it seems, to not let it get out. It's captured. We'll let you see what's in there. But there's an urgency. We do not want this to get out. If it gets out, it could be trouble. So the, the lid is slammed back on. She's pushed back in. And again, storks are an unclean bird which would not seem to be something God would use. Now, these next verses would pretty much put the kibosh on anyone who wants to see these two as being from God and doing the work of God. 
Verse 10, so I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? So these two fly in and they carry the basket away. And so he just sees these two stork-winged women swoop down, pick up the basket and carry it off. So it seems to be a logical question. Where are they going with it? Where are they taking it? He said to me to build a house for it in the land of Shinar. When it is ready, the basket will be set there on his base. All right. If you're going to build a house for what's in the basket, what are you building the house for? Wickedness. Who's building the house? The two women. How in the world can these two women be of God if they are building a house for wickedness? I don't know how anybody can come up with an interpretation that says these women are of God just because they take wickedness out of the land of Israel. They took it out of the land of Israel because it is now in the land of Israel. It is captured. It is in a container and there is a heavy lid on top of it. It's not getting out. So whatever good we wanted it to do, it can't do there. So the best thing for the kingdom of evil to do is to take what is in a container and carry it someplace where it can do some good. Where it can do have some, some benefit for their kingdom. So we're going to take it over to Babylon. Because in Babylon, they like wickedness. In the New Living Translation, it says, Where are they taking the basket? I asked the angel. He replied, To the land of Babylonia, where they will build a temple for the basket. And when the temple is ready, they will set the basket there on its pedestal. So the women are going to build this this house. Somehow be involved in, in getting this house built. This temple is going to be built. No one commissioned by God would build this. But Babylon is a target. Now, since Babylon is a target for this, I don't know about you, but my mind naturally is drawn to the woman of Revelation 17. I just, I can't help but being drawn to this. Now, here's the problem that I have with this particular thing. At this particular time, the woman that is the harlot in Revelation 17 is doing what? If we read the, the chapter 17, the woman that is the harlot of the chapter is currently riding the beast which means she is riding the kingdom of Persia she is now on the kingdom of Persia she was on Egypt she was on Syria she was on Babylon she's now on Persia she's going to be on Greece she's going to keep moving around to the different different beasts so she's occupied At this particular time, the woman of Revelation 17 has a job. And she's not in a basket. She is empowering that particular kingdom. She is riding that particular head. So I'm wondering, is this vision not for the present, but for the future? Because there is a time when the woman, this particular woman, the harlot, is not on a head. Because we're between kingdoms. During the church age, there is no world kingdom. The beast is not manifested. It is trying to manifest, but what hinders it from manifesting? The church does. So there is no beast for her to ride. So it could be that it is her and she is contained, but we have a use for her and we need to get her ready. And once we have things in place... We need her there because we're gonna, she's going to help that beast get going until the beast is done with her and then they're going to slay her. 
because they went to worship to come to the beast. But she still has some more use to be done. So that could, if we want to say that she is the Revelation 17 woman, that could be how this is going. We're looking at these, uh, these folks finding this woman. She's been contained and she is being taken over. They don't release her until whatever is being built for her is finished. So if we look at it that way, then we are still, there's the temple that they're going to house her in is still being built. It's still going on. Now, I am amazed. Sometimes I listen to other people's end times things just to see, you know, if there's anything I can learn because I know I don't know everything on it. There's people out there that can teach me, but I am amazed at how many still want to go to the thing that the end time kingdom, the final kingdom is going to be Rome. I just get amazed. I keep thinking, surely they ought to know this by now. Now, one of the persons that I, I cut my teeth on on the end times is still set in this. I listened to him, I don't know, some, last year sometime, listened, and I, I got so frustrated every time I listened to him. It's like, you have not studied the Bible in like 20 years because you're still teaching exactly the same thing you did before. You haven't learned anything. I just frustrated that. No, we're supposed to continually learn, continually delve into the Word to find out some things. But uh, the, the kingdom that is coming is not a 10 nation European Union, which people are still pushing and still trying to see, but it is a 10-nation uh, Arab Union. In the Bible, we, we've spent time in the end times on, on the class. We spent time and we showed it to you. And I know a long time ago I taught that Rome was the final kingdom, but I told you, whenever I taught it, I always told you, the problem with it is that in Daniel's vision, Babylon is the center. Every kingdom of Daniel's vision Babylon is the center, except for Rome. Rome never had Babylon as its kingdom, as its capital. Never. The Babylonians did. Obviously, that was their, their thing. When we get to the Persians, the Persians operate out of Babylon. It was more central for what they wanted to do. I don't know, that's where all the money was, whatever it was. They operate out of Babylon. When Alexander the Great conquered the world, once he finished conquering the world, guess where he settled and ran the world from? Babylon. But when Rome came and conquered, they did not rule out of Babylon. They ruled from Rome. And I'm amazed at how many still keep wanting to go back. It's going to be a revived Rome. Uh, Rome is nowhere near being able to fulfill any of these particular things. But Iraq is. Iran is, is rising up. Most of the nations around there, Turkey, keep an eye on them. There's things going on with Turkey. There's things and alliances that are happening inside there that are, that are going on. People are still trying to bring Russia into this group, and they may be aligned with them, but they are not part of the ten-nation confederacy that will come up. I don't see them as being part of it. Uh, maybe I'll be in the end be proved wrong, but that's fine. But Babylon will be the center. And we all know when we were going through this before that uh, when, um, uh, who is it, Hussein? Um, and if, but he, he was rebuilding Babylon. And if you go on out there, you'll find new streets and new office buildings and all kinds of stuff that he had rebuilt in there, getting it ready to become a big center. I don't know what's going on with it now. I haven't heard anything about what's happening with that particular city. But I believe that Babylon itself is going to be the, the place for this to go on. So it is very possible that the woman in this is the Revelation 17 harlot. It is also possible that it's just wickedness. But the wickedness is taken out of the land of Israel. 
Because when we're talking about in the first part, the whole earth, when we get to the second part, where that same word is used and talked about the land, the word whole is gone. But the same word is used. So we're looking at using a, a, a reducer there. The first part in the whole earth is talking about then that scroll went out, it went over the whole earth. But in the second part of the second vision, it was not the whole earth, it was the land. And that's why that word is... Tra- same word, but it's translated land because it's more than likely looking at the land of Israel because the basket is taken from the land of Judah, Israel, and it is carried to the land of Shinar, specifically Babylon. But many still try and make Rome into Babylon. That Rome will become a figurative Babylon. No, God does not need a figurative Babylon. If he said it's Babylon, it's going to be Babylon. And for all those other kingdoms to be centered in Babylon, I'm convinced that this one will be as well. So the wickedness is leaving Judah, but it is not leaving the earth. And that's one of the other interpretations I ran into is that people tried to see this as something in the end times in which the wickedness is taken from the earth. It's not taken from the earth. It's taken from the land of Israel and it's taken over to the land of Babylon. So it's not eradicated from the earth. Evil's not eradicated from the earth because of this vision. Now, I was trying to put some time into studying the next chapter because I think the next chapter will give us some light on it, but this chapter really ate up a lot of my time. I was really trying to get the understanding of all this, so... We'll have to leave that for when we get back. You know that the next two weeks we won't be be here on this. But we will be getting back into that when we, when we get back. So, there is an urgency. We look at this vision. There is an urgency for us to see wickedness as something evil and it is not to be toyed with. Treat it like a poisonous snake. That you, uh, that, that is evil. That is something that is wrong. That is something the Word of God told us not to get involved with. Let the law and will of God identify it around you and look to cage or contain. Or look, basically, take it captive. Take the evil that you see around you. Take it captive. Don't let it reign around you. Don't let it reign in your life. It is up to you to take it captive. Someone took that woman and put her in the container. And it would. My, if I was to guess on this, what happened? The people who saw the flying scroll understood we needed to stop these things and other ones who contained the evil that was trying to come around in them and they got rid of those those things uh, but i don't know for sure it is very easy for the world system to attach itself to us and what the world identifies as evil becomes justified as okay boy how easy it is let me look around the church in the united states today too many of the churches have accepted things that are not in the Word of God. They avoid teaching things in the Word of God. They avoid teaching the Word of God altogether because they don't want these things coming out. We've got even translations. Uh, specifically, the New Revised Standard Version is one of those very evil translations that has altered the Word of God to fit what society demands. That's one of the reasons why I despise with every fiber of my being that particular translation. You know, I don't like the NIV. But the level of despising goes far high. It's off the Richter scale for me, for the NRSV. I really despise that one. It has all sorts of evil that it brings in. And uh, people, there are churches out there that are accepting this. They're making this their translation for a a standard translation. If you want to say, like we have a standard translation. Ours is uh, the New King James. I was listening to a whole lot of uh, uh, Fred Price over the last couple of weeks. And uh, 
I'm in a series of his that he does at the church. He is adamant. New King James. And every time he introduces one of these, because he's at his church. If he goes to somebody else's church, he doesn't do this, but he's at his church. All these things are done at his church. And he's going over. Now, I'm reading from the New King James, and it's always the exact same thing that he says. I'm reading from the New King James. If you have one of our Bibles, it's in the New King James. If you don't, if you're reading from the King James, that's fine. But some of the words have been updated. Some of the words have been changed. But we'll all get to the same place, is what he always says. I enjoyed that part about him, but he likes the, the New King James on that. And if you're going to say anything is our official translation here, just because it's the one that I use most of the time, we would probably say it's the New King James. But we're okay with anybody using the King James. I'm even okay if somebody brings in an NIV. I don't uh, make them leave it outside or anything like that. I just don't use it. Um, some of the things you just don't see, when I'm looking for things for the Scriptures in the front of the bulletin, I actually go and check, did this translation come from the NIV? Because they don't always identify it. And it's not always what I have in the New King James. So I look it up. If it came from the NIV, I scrap it. I won't use it. If it got by me, if it's in there and it's from the NIV, somehow I missed that it was. But I actually have ways for me to go out there and check it because I just don't like the translation. But I despise with every fiber in my being the NRSV. And there's other ones out there that... Um, I'm not as, as keen on. Now, don't confuse the Revised Standard Version with the NRSV. They may share most of the same name, but they are not the same purpose or translation. If you have a Revised Standard Version in your home, it is perfectly fine to go out there and to look at that and to read it and uh, to trust it. It is not the New Revised Standard Version. The New Revised Standard Version to the Revised Standard Version is nothing like the New King James Version to the King James Version. It is very different than that. It has got a completely different translation, completely different purpose. But it is easy for the world system to attach itself to us and what the word identifies as evil becomes justified as okay. This is why one of the purposes that the world has is let's change the written word of God. Let's alter it. And so more and more translations are coming out that are altering the word of God and giving it different meanings. And that's why you got to make sure that you always go back to, to something. It's fine to look at other translations, but make sure you have one that you trust, that you keep going back to, you compare it to. And if it's different, ask yourself, why is it different, and then find out. I put in my outline, it's not, I don't know if it's in yours, but tolerance becomes acceptance, and that can even lead to compliance. The first thing the enemy wants us to get to do is to tolerate evil. And then we accept it. And then it will even lead to us complying with it. You might even get into practicing it. Don't do it. This, is, this was such an urgent thing inside this vision. The evil was contained. A heavy lid was put on it. And it was shipped out to a country that was evil. We do not want it here in this place. So make sure in your own homes, don't bring in the things through movies that are bringing evil into your home. I get amazed at some of the things that Christians will watch in the area of uh, horror movies. The, the evil that is brought in there. We see some of the commercials for them on TV. I can't stand the commercials. I'm ready to cancel a subscription I have to, uh, we don't have too many services, but I have one. And we subscribe to it so we don't have to do the commercials. But for some reason, they started putting the commercials in the beginning and they're doing some of these evil things. I don't, I can't pass it. I can't fast forward it. It's stuck in there. And I'm getting ready to write them and say, if you keep doing this, I will cancel the subscription because I do not want that coming into my house. 
I don't like it. I don't want it. We have to make sure that we stand up against these things. Even some of the things that aren't necessarily horror or evil, there's still some other things that people are, are bringing in. Uh, we've gotten so used to having adultery brought in in some of the Hollywood things that uh, we're okay with, with watching that. It, it still ought to be a thing where it, dis it, it disturbs us when we see those kind of things going on on the screen. So be careful with what you watch. Be careful with what you bring in. Don't let these things go on. In this vision we see, take the evil. And you've got to understand there's a danger with this evil. So much so that the angel thrust it back in, threw the heavy lid on, and had it escorted out of the land. Make sure that you don't have these things in your area. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the visions, and the things that we can study that help us in the evils and the situations and the goings-on that we face today. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.